Coming at you live from sunny San Luis Obispo, it's Climbing with Coach Kaya, your host, and my wonderful wife, Kaya Twistleman Burchett. Kaya? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. As you've heard, my intro sounded a little bit different today. In fact, so different and so great that I think I should go ahead and hire that guy to do my official intro refresh because, wow, the energy. I'm impressed. But that voice is a familiar voice to me, but a new voice here on the show, a long-awaited guest of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast, the hardest guest that I have had to work on to come on this show, my very own husband, Brent Burchett. Now, when I first started this podcast over a year ago, this is 100 episodes. I've been doing this for 100 weeks. Even before I launched the first episode, I was like, babe, you should come on the show and be a guest. And he looked at me and he had the audacity to say, no. He said, if you make it to 100, I'll be your guest. And let me tell you, folks, over the past couple of months, as I remind him how close I've been getting to 100, he's been sweating bullets. But it is such an honor for him to join me here today. And I think you guys are just going to fall in love with him because everybody does. Now, I want to make a quick disclaimer before we jump into the good stuff with our man of the hour. It might be a little noisier outside today. You might hear some traffic, some birds, some wind. That is because my long-awaited guest also happens to be my neediest, bossiest guest. And he insisted that we do it in our happy place, which happens to be outside in the yard. So we are just hanging out in my front yard, folks. We got a little happy hour beverage and we're, we're having a good time. But I need to give you more context for who this man is before we jump in, shall we? Brent Burchett serves as executive director of the San Luis Obispo County Farm Bureau. His 15-year career in agriculture and public policy has included service at the local, state, and federal levels of government, including the Kentucky Department of Agriculture, Kentucky Soybean Association, Lexington Fayette Urban County Council, Kentucky Secretary of State, and the Office of U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell. Burchett is a proud graduate of the University of Kentucky College of Agriculture and the Martin School for Public Policy and Administration. He grew up working on his family's grain and tobacco farm near the western Kentucky town of Murray, and lives today in San Luis Obispo with his wonderful wife, Kaya. Wow, that's, that sounded so official. Okay, without further ado, let's dive on in. Hello there, beautiful friend. I'm your host, Kaya, a cattle rancher turned accidental life coach after embarking on my own health journey, losing over 100 pounds, but most importantly, rebuilding my relationship with myself. Now I am more on fire than ever to empower others to create a healthy life that they love from the inside out by sharing the tools, tips, and strategies that I've learned and continue to learn along the way. Mindset, health, body image, self-love, entrepreneurship, and more. We're here to chat about climbing the mountains of life all while finding joy in the journey. Welcome to the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. Now let's get climbing. No, wait, 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 wait. I need to hand this microphone over to Brent because he's, he's been working on this jingle for a while now. Go ahead, babe. Take it away. This is the Kaya Show. Hey, hey, what do you know? Tell me all your feelings and stuff, Kaya. <laughs> okay. My first question for you, Brent, is uh, why were you so nervous to come on the show? Well, I'm not a sharer. You share everything we do. Why is it, I have a booger in my nose? You're telling me, <laughs> guys, give me the booger. Nobody can see Kaya. There's no, it bothers Kaya. That's good wife for you. It gives you a heads up of boogers. I just, I, you know, I do a lot of media, but I, you know, this is my wife and this is my personal life. And I don't like 
putting myself out there necessarily, but Lord knows you do. So here we are. <laughs> you know, it's so funny to me because I'm like, babe, you, he, he has, he's on the radio every Thursday. He has like a running radio show. He gets on hour long radio calls all the time. He has no problem standing up in front of people. He just did a spontaneous KSUY local TV interview yesterday. He's not afraid of talking folks. Trust me. That's not the issue. I think I just, he's met his match. I scare the shit out of him. He never knows what I'm going to say or what I'm going to ask him. And, uh, he's, he's good at being professional, but, um, today we're going to make him a little uncomfortable because we know that growth happens outside of our comfort zones. Right, babe? He says, oh me. Okay. My first question for you, babe, is I feel like we got to tell, and I want you to tell this from your perspective, the story of how we met because we're in sunny San Luis Obispo, but you are far, far from home. Like all good love stories, Kaya, this one begins at the fair. A lot of good fellow country redneck farming people out there. If you're looking for a good spouse, go to your local fair. I was working the Kentucky Soybean Association booth, which just so happened to be next to the Kentucky Cattlemen Association booth. And I had heard that they had hired a new girl, that she was some hippie from California, lived in Europe, had a nose ring. So first time I saw Kaya, she was cleaned up very well. She, her hair was all did up. She, her makeup was on point. She was looking fresh and she came and sat next to me at the booth and there was, um, a couple of the kids and I'll say like, we had like a kid's area where they could come learn about agriculture. So we had like a pit of soybeans they could climb in. We had a little putt, putt golf thing, a little tractor driving, some kind of deal. And there was these kids that clearly their mama was not on top of things. She was just basically dumping them off and leaving. And uh, Kai and I basically adopted these kids for an hour and uh, we were coloring with them. And Kai was so sweet. I remember how nice she was to the kids and they all wanted to sit in her lap. And I was kind of like the ogre next to her and they would sit with me. But uh, I just thought, what a sweet girl. And then Kaya, obviously we're shooting the breeze. And I said, tell me about your, your family's farm and ranch. And we say farm in Kentucky, but in California, Kai, y'all say ranch. So she said, my family's got a little ranch, a little family ranch. And it's like, I don't know, 50, 60,000 acres. And in Kentucky, that is a lot of acres. So I immediately took more notice of this cute girl. I said, tell me your name again. What is it? Being a gold digger right now? Are you trying to? Well, I was a little bit of a gold digger. You know, I'm, I'm not stupid. If somebody got 60,000 acres, that's something you need to appreciate. But in California, for those that don't know, West Coast agriculture, there's, land that's highly valued that's on the coastal area and then there's lower value land that's inland and it's grazing country so it looks like for those that don't know kaya's family's ranch is like a john wayne movie there is tumbleweeds i remember the first tumbleweed i saw coming out to your place like holy smoke that's a tumbleweed it kind of laughed at me all of her family made fun of me but it's it's different so my family in kentucky we farm about 12, 1300 acres. We rent most of that from other landowners. And so somebody has got 60,000 acres is like the King of England. I mean, it's a, it's a big amount of ground. So I remember being excited about that. And you had such enthusiasm for agriculture and tell me about your cattle ranch and your family. And Kaya had just come from Europe. You've been in Germany, Kaya. Kaya, are you doing a lot of Instagram right now while we're tweeting this? Do I look good? Don't we? No, it kind of terrible about making me look good on Instagram. It's her fault. Anyway, so we met the fair. We had a Kentucky Livestock Coalition meeting. So that was the second hat I wore at the Soybean Association. That's where we bring all the people, other commodities that buy soybeans. So for those who don't know, soybeans are primarily crushed for soybean oil. 
but there's a remainder of basically a protein meal that's used for chicken feed, for cattle feed. And so soybeans farmers, and that's our top U.S. export commodity. Folks may not know. I'll give you a lot of ag trivia today, Kai. They're going to get it. So America's number one export ag commodity is soybeans. And a lot of those go to China, but a lot of them are used in the United States to feed our animals. So we got to share that exchange. And Kaya was cleaned up looking good. And I'll let her tell the story about her ambush makeover by the Louisville Courier Journal. Y'all, when I tell the story, I'm just like, you cannot make this up. You cannot make this love story up. So from my perspective, yeah, after college, I moved to Germany for a year for this cultural ambassadorship, young professional exchange program. And I'm applying for jobs while I'm overseas. I remember my interview for the Kentucky Beef Council was from a hostel room in Berlin, Germany. And I had to kick all of my hostel mates out and be like, y'all, true, not a hostel environment. A hostel is basically a cheap dorm for people that are traveling, essentially, like a room full of bunk beds. And I had to kick all of my hostel mates out and say, y'all need to leave. I have an interview today. And so I did this interview and I remember my soon to be boss was this older gentleman, Dave Maples, love him so much from Alabama. He's got this deep, thick Southern accent. And I just remember him saying, we were interviewing a Californian with a nose ring living in Germany for a job with the Kentucky Beef Council. To say I was a wild card is uh, an understatement. Anyhow, I get the job. I moved to Kentucky two weeks after I come back home to the States after a year abroad. And, uh, I'm sitting there setting up with my new coworkers that I had just met first week in Kentucky, this booth at the Kentucky State Fair. And these two women and this cameraman run up to me and they say, hey, we're doing ambush makeovers this year at the fair. Can we steal you for one? And I looked at my coworker like, I don't know if I, I, I'm, I'm on the job right now. Am I allowed to leave? And she said, yeah, go do it. And I'm like really easygoing. I told them they could do whatever they wanted. And so they had this pop-up salon at the State Fair and they chopped I mean, probably 12 inches off of my hair. I had long hair before this, like below the nip level long. Yeah. Brent also loves long hair. So good thing he didn't meet me before the makeover. And they chopped it off to like an A-line bob. They did my makeup. They made me do the whole full reveal on stage with the local WDRB Louisville news station. I was in the Sunday paper and all these little old ladies came up to me at the Kentucky State Fair while we're working the booth saying, oh, are you that Californian that was living in Germany? Because they all saw me in the paper. And uh, that day I got this, this makeover and I walk into the, to the Livestock Coalition meeting and I met this gentleman and I got his business card. In fact, I still think that I have your business card from the day that I met you. Yeah, I did. I actually met Brent's mom that same week because she was a volunteer farmer at the Kentucky State Fair. Well, who doesn't like me, Brent? That's, that's true. Okay, so we met at the Kentucky State Fair. Oh, yeah. He said his mom's pretty particular, so I should be honored that she liked me after meeting me. She is a classy lady. We love Deb. But, uh, you know, we met then. We didn't start dating until you moved back uh, over to Lexington. I did not have a boyfriend. He's convinced that I had a boyfriend, but that is fake, fake news. Wait, one one quick thing, because we're talking about agriculture in this. One of the things that surprised me the most about the Kentucky State Fair was I remember walking around to the different booths, and I walk into this building, and there in front of me were all these 4-H tobacco projects. And I was like, what? Is this legal? Is this allowed? And it baffled my mind that 4-H'ers grow tobacco in Kentucky as a 4-H project. That was just their kids, 4-H kids. I think most people listen. Yeah. High school, middle school, like children, not of age to smoke tobacco, but they're allowed to grow it for their 4-H project, which was just so fascinating to me. I should also mention too, I maybe said this on the show before, but the reason our love story is extra sweet too, is that my parents met our local county fair 
And both my brothers met their wives at our local county fair. So this is just evidence that if y'all are looking for love, trust me, it's at the fair. And uh, it's it's about fair season. So get your tickets, folks. Go find love at the fair. And my family grew tobacco. I always like talking about tobacco because it's kind of a novelty out here in California. Uh, you know, tobacco kills people. No, let's get that out of the way. No doubt it's bad. So does uh, alcohol abuse. They grow a lot of wine grapes here in California. We got a lot of bourbon to sit. We'll talk a little bourbon later, Kai, for those that like bourbon. But, you know, it's it's different in Kentucky because that is what paid for, you know, our Christmas. That's what every family did. Even if they had a, a city job, like working in a factory, everybody had a little bit of tobacco. And so I don't associate that with anything except for hard work and community. So, you know, when it's time to set tobacco or hoe tobacco or strip tobacco, which is where you, you pick the leaves off, basically. Everybody's like, I can tell your face while I'm describing this. Stripping tobacco is just pulling the leaves off. So you say you're having a stripping party. It ain't one of them fancy dancer guys making noise. It, it's a community thing. So your neighbors, your grandma comes up. And, you know, my, I wouldn't be who I am today without having that hard work because tobacco is um, – it is miserable, hot, hard, not all of it, but springtime you plant tobacco and it's nice weather. It's like, you know, March, April, it's pretty in Kentucky. And then the tobacco starts growing and gets higher and higher and you have to hoe it. So we got a lot of hoers out there. <laughs> Everybody People the hoe are hoers. And that was usually me and my brother and my dad. And maybe we'd hire one or two hired hands. And it's pretty labor intensive. You hoe the weeds out. And then you come back in August and you have to sucker the tobacco. So basically tobacco actually, nobody will believe this, but tobacco makes a beautiful flower bloom. If you let tobacco grow naturally, it put out this beautiful, it looks like little tulips. They're, they're real pretty. But we don't want that. We want the tobacco to grow its leaves. So we have to go through there and manually snap off the top of the plant, about eight, nine inches of a flower, pull that off, and then spray this It's fatty alcohol. It basically kind of seals that wound. It burns it shut so that the tobacco plant puts all its energy towards the leaves. So suckering is, I have my, I guess they're fond memories now, but they weren't fond. <laughs> I remember doing rain dances, praying for rain, because if it was raining, you couldn't do it. And it was pretty hard work. But, you know, that taught me and my brother and thousands of kids in Kentucky and the South, Kentucky, Tennessee, North Carolina, yeah, Virginia is tobacco growing states. And it's um, like school didn't start until tobacco harvest was done. Like the re they had a proposal to move the school up to um, first week of August or late July. And all the tobacco farmers said, nope, we need those kids out there. And I never felt like that was, I didn't like it, but I didn't feel like that was abuse. It taught me how to get out there and work. You know, if you put eight hours in tobacco, it's a long day. But I remember getting six or $7 an hour. And I thought, ooh, I've made it. I'm in big money. I had that big check, you know, three or $400 check for working tobacco. My dad didn't pay me, but... We'd work for other farmers that didn't have as many kids, and I'm proud of that tobacco legacy. And I know people don't like tobacco, but guys, give me the hand gesture to wrap it up. But tobacco was an important part of our lives, and I, I went to school on a tobacco scholarship, Philip Morris scholarship. So I wouldn't have been able to go to school without tobacco. It's a big deal in our community. There you have it, folks. Brent Burchett's childhood in a nutshell: just hoeing, suckering, and stripping. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, that did that did bring up another question that I wanted to bring up. Um, now, Brent was an entrepreneur at a very young age, and some of those entrepreneurial endeavors we will uh, keep 
to ourselves. But one of them, one of them was a uh, one that even Al Roker himself was able to experience. And this stems from the tobacco story. So Brent, I just want you to give us a little insight into one of your first entrepreneurial endeavors. I was at a craft show and I like going to flea markets and garage sales and, and stuff like that. And at some festival out by my grandmother's house, they, there was a lady selling tobacco sticks. And one time we went to New York city for a school trip and I was thinking, well, maybe I could sell some of these. eBay had just come out. It was a new thing. My parents didn't believe in it. They thought I was wasting my time. And I had a tobacco stick in my checked bag. I had it in a tube and I brought it to New York city to the today show. And I sweet talked the cameraman. I told him what I had. I said, I'm going to give this to Al Roker. And I gave it to him on camera and he twirled it around. Oh yeah, it's a Kentucky tobacco stick. And then I sneakily pulled up a pizza box that had my geo cities website and my eBay account handle. And I said, Al, the folks at home can get these at eBay.com. He's like, Whoa, 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 kid. You can't be selling stuff on the today show. But I did. And I came home and I had like 20 or 30 orders and that got my high school business. And I bought my first vehicle with uh, tobacco stick revenue. Gosh, I just, I love that story so much. Good old eBay. I, like eBay still to this day has not changed its interface at all. It looks exactly the same. Uh, but this brings me to my next question. So Brent has been an entrepreneur in the past. And uh, while we were living in Kentucky together, so uh, he had moved to Lexington where I was living about six months later. Our first date was a tailgate party for the Kentucky Derby. He took me to the actual Kentucky Derby a year later and the year after that. But good tickets. Yep, he he did good. But while we were in Kentucky, he had to deal with me as a very, very homesick Kaya. So homesick. I loved Kentucky so much. It felt like home in a way that, I mean, I do like to consider myself a, what I like to say is a Kentuckifornian. I love it. I love the people. And who knows, we'll probably move back there someday. But the week that I moved to Kentucky for that job was the same week that my oldest niece, McKinley, was born. And it was so hard for me to be over 2,000 miles away from home and feeling like I was missing out on my the childhood of my nieces. And so Brent had to deal with me many, many nights crying. Brent said about once a month, I would spend the night crying so, so homesick because I couldn't be home. And at that point in time, I knew that I wanted to go the route of having more freedom when it came to my schedule and more flexibility and also like income freedom too. And uh, so I knew that I wanted to go the route of entrepreneurship. And the way that that began, Brent, I want you to share what that first entrepreneurial endeavor was. Kaya didn't give herself enough credit. She was killing it in Kentucky. She was really, I mean, Kaya was on TV every week doing an awesome job. She was sweet. She was funny. Everybody loved her. And she acclimated to Kentucky so much faster and better than I have in California. Like people still don't really know about me in California, but everybody in Kentucky loved Kaya. And that just goes to show you that she's an awesome person. As you all know, all this from listening to the podcast. Anyway, that job was not well paid. Like she liked her bosses, they're good friends, best lifelong friends, I would say, but they paid crap. So Kyle was frustrated. She wasn't making big bucks. I was making medium bucks working as a, my buddy from college was our ag commissioner. In Kentucky, we elect our agriculture commissioner, like a statewide office, like governor, attorney general, ag commissioner. So I had a good job. It was super stressful. We don't know if we're talking anything about the hemp thing, but I had a job and Kaya had her job. We were both like really well respected in the ag community, but we weren't paying the bills. Like it was not good. And so we decided we wanted some off 
time income. And so we started Bur- after much deliberation. The name we arrived at was Burley and Barley Creative and Editorial because I pretend myself I'm an edit- editor, like writing. If you got something you need to edit it, call it, send it to me. I'm happy to edit it for you. Kaya is well talented at making beautiful calligraphy, uh, paintings with watercolor. I mean, she's really good artist. You give Kaya a prompt, she can craft you anything. So if we started this logo design business, a little bit of website design, and we were primarily serving agriculture clients who we love. We care about those people, but you know, they're, they're not rich. And so we would charge $500 for a website that took us two weeks to make. They would be like, well, that's a lot of money. So it was challenging, but I was always amazed at, I always thought I was a good designer. I taught Kai how to do um, Adobe Illustrator. Like I thought I was a maestro and Kai would crank up this stuff that was absolutely amazing. And we'd only get like 500 bucks for it. Like I spent two weeks on it. So it was a good run. We had clients, we did I mean, we could we could still be doing that today. I, we we have enough demand. We it was just a hard business, but it showed in my mind you, Kaya, that you were very talented and that the non-job entrepreneur path was okay. We could survive without it. Yeah, and I just want to also say that this Burley and Barley business, our first, my first, I guess I guess I shouldn't say first. You know, in my youth, I had my own entrepreneurial adventures. I had a heard a cattle of myself. I guess that was entrepreneurship, but it was my first business. We got it all registered. And Brent is the one though that taught me after we did our nine to five jobs in the evenings, we would come home and he would teach me how to use the software. Keep in mind that he was self-taught himself. So I would say the both of us were very much enrolled in the university of Google and YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. University of hard knocks. We did a lot of research, but all completely self-taught website, self-taught, all of it self-taught. And um, I'm really, really proud of what we built, you know, with Burley and Barley. And in fact, so proud that Burley and Barley gave me, it was really my first toe dipping into entrepreneurship. It kind of gave me this confidence in myself that, okay, if I apply myself, I can create a career for myself. I can create a business. And uh, while we're living in Kentucky, still extremely homesick. And I had a woman from back home who I love and respect so, so much. One of the queens of slow, yeah, one of the queens of slow county agriculture had reached out to me to try to scout me. Her name is Dee Lacey. Her family are really big cattle ranchers here in the state of California. We love her so much. She had reached out to me to try to convince me to apply for this job back home as the executive director of the Slow County Farm Bureau. And I looked at it. I was intrigued and I felt highly underqualified. And to be honest, just not interested in the work. You know, I love creative work. I love people. But uh, that lobbying stuff, I knew there was a better fit for that. And they happened to be the man that I was living with. I'm not going to tell him what Farm Bureau is. I'm going to let you tell them what Farm Bureau is. Anyways, before I let him do that, I somehow, by some miracle, I think it was all the tears that I was crying once a month, being so homesick. I convinced Brent to apply for this job in California. And let me tell you, I cannot emphasize enough just how hard it is to get a Southern boy to leave the South. Brent, tell me what that was like for you. I love Kentucky with all my heart, and I always will. There's a quote that says, I never met a Kentuckian that wasn't coming home. I don't know what it is. I mean, everybody loves their family, and I have a great family, and I miss them. But I I love Kentucky, and I love it from western Kentucky, where I'm from. I love it in Lexington, where I lived for a long time, went to school, and made so many lifelong friends. I love eastern Kentucky that's so beautiful and so underdeveloped and a lot of potential. but I remember uh, one of my lifelong friends at a wedding cornered Kaya. Do you remember this story, Kaya? 
<laughs> Allie Hillard. Allie might be listening to this. She won't care, but she just like had a few cocktails and she cornered Kaya and she said, this is where we're still living in Lexington. And she said, I don't care if you guys get married. I think you're great, but don't you take this man out of Kentucky. And I was so prideful of that. I enjoyed that. It's like, I, here we are in California. So we definitely didn't listen to Allie's advice. But the job for the Farm Bureau was um, I had applied for Kentucky Farm Bureau jobs. My dad was, you know, we were kids. We never went on vacation. The only vacation we took was once a year for the Kentucky Farm Bureau annual meeting in Louisville. And people listen to this in more urban areas like, what a joke. <laughs> you know, Louisville's not that exciting. But he had a swimming pool at the hotel. So that was a big deal as a kid. But my dad was active in Farm Bureau politics, which Farm Bureau is a farmer advocacy grassroots organization. So farmers and ranchers in the counties make policy decisions. They pass it up to the state level. The state level passes it up to American Farm Bureau. And Farm Bureau is the largest and oldest agriculture advocacy organization in the United States. It's got farmers that have two acres and farmers that have 20,000 acres and everything in between. So... Agriculture was a big deal to me. I've done it for a long time. I did Soybean Association, my first job out of college. I did it at the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. had a lot of different roles there. And, you know, I, I enjoy farming. I enjoy, I, I'm not talented enough to be a farmer. I can't fix nothing. I can change my own oil and tires. That's about it. And farmers are the most underappreciated people on the planet. They can do crazy you know, calculus of markets. So they're having to market their soybeans and wheat and decide what the price is going to be. So they're looking at the Chicago board of trade. They're having to do the mechanical stuff, the routine stuff, the oil and all, keeping all their equipment maintained. They're also having to be agronomists, go out there and look at their field. And, you know, I, I never thought of my dad as anything but smart, but as I get older, I'm just amazed at how they're able to make a living doing that. And in America, especially Lord knows California, we make it very hard to be farmers and ranchers. And the more regulations we put on folks, the more we have consolidation in the industry because it's like a HR labor specialist, pesticide compliance specialist, a land use consultant, all these things. And I get so sad because even in Slow County, there's rednecks everywhere. That was a lifelong guy last. That was a lesson I took away from California. I thought California was LA and San Francisco. I didn't think about the thousands and thousands of farmers live in very rural, remote areas that are my people, people that get up every day and they don't, you know, they could have made more money doing something else, but they love the land. They love people and agriculture. And that's what fires me up every day. When I'm lobbying, I, I want to get after it for those people. You know, I remember so distinctly when I was still working for the Kentucky Cattlemen's Association, they do this trip every year. They call it the Facts Tour and they bring a group of about 55 Kentucky cattlemen and cattlewomen to another state or region. And while I was there, they picked California. And so obviously I was tasked with being the main person to help organize that tour as a native Californian. And one of my good, good friends, David, his parents were coming on the tour and his dad, Martin, looked at me and said, now, Kaya, this is while we're on the tour in California. He said, I'll be honest with you. Before we came out here, I had already decided my heels were in the ground, that I was going to hate California and everything about it. He said, you know what I realized? Agriculture people in California are just like agriculture people in Kentucky. They just have to deal with a lot more bullshit than we do, <laughs> which I think is kind of true. It's my podcast. I can say whatever I want to. Um, My editor, Jill, can bleep it out, but I like, 
listen, I like a little soft cursing. It keeps things interesting, right? We don't say the F word around here, but the shit word's okay. Anywho, Brent, obviously, he grew up in Kentucky in agriculture, like very much immersed in agriculture. But when we moved to California, it almost felt like, Brent, you had to start all over again. Like all the knowledge that you gained in agriculture and lobbying in Kentucky, sure, some of it translated, but a lot of it didn't. Can you tell me what the biggest culture shocks were for you coming into California ag? My specialties were corn, soybeans, wheat, tobacco, small scale dairy. And we don't have any of it in Slow County. But this county, when I moved to this job, I said I was going to work for a county farm bureau. And there's a, in Kentucky, which is a smaller state than California, obviously, fourth of the size. So Kentucky is one fourth the size geography of California. I told people in Kentucky I was moving to California to be the head of a county farm bureau. And they all said, oh, did something happen? Did something bad? <laughs> did you get in trouble? I said, no, it's a great big county. It's basically like a quarter of the size of Kentucky. And this one county does nearly as much agriculture sales as my entire state does. So we are a billion-dollar agriculture economy. The entire state of Kentucky does about $4 billion in ag sales. And so I, I came to appreciate high-valued commodities like avocados, uh, lemons, limes, strawberries, wine grapes. Uh, it, it's just a different world out here. And I have met some of the most amazing farmers that uh, when I get – down in my job because I've lobbying some kind of government person and things don't go well. I'm reminded of how resilient these farmers are. If we lose California farmers, America will suffer. And let that be my mantra here that we are in jeopardy of losing our world-class, something that other nations envy. There's people, I tell this story all the time, Kyle, you'll make fun of me, but China, which is not our friend right now, but I hope will be more so one day, they come over to the United States and send agents to steal our seeds. So they literally go into the fields and corn and soybean fields in Iowa, and they find a hybrid, you know, a new technology seed that's been developed. It's really good about high yield or, or disease resistance or not using much water. And they steal them out of the ground. They sew them into the lining of their suit jackets and they fly back to China. And so what I want to impress upon people who listen to this podcast, everybody's probably already ag people, but Agriculture is national security. When we have to depend on other countries for our food, we are no longer a country. We have to have that, just like we have to have stuff that makes us uncomfortable about guns and defense and bombs and missiles. It, it don't matter if we can't feed our people. There's a quote about um, an army, you know, bread is just as important as bullets in a war. You got to feed your people. And I worry that this country has come. So we got a little taste of food security during COVID when some of our people went to the grocery stores and everything wasn't there. And I want you to imagine like they have it in China and in Cuba and other countries that they don't have everything in the food. You know, they go to the grocery store, stuff's not there and that matters. And so I get mad about this job a lot because it's so frustrating, but what we do matters, what we do in agriculture matters. And I just wish everybody would wake up and it ain't about this small farmer, big farmer thing. That's all crap in my opinion how many cows do i get from a big farmer how many acres of strawberries to become a big farmer you know quit using those narratives it's just so divisive and stupid there's bad actors big and small i, I used to be an organic farm inspector in kentucky farm ag so i always tout that and i've been to organic farms that are amazing awesome small resilient love it 
would shop there. I've been to organic farms that are small that I, w- I wouldn't buy nothing from. They're nasty and everything in between. So this idea that there's good farmers and bad farmers is a stupid argument. And I want your listeners, Kaya, to know how many listeners we got. Kaya, Kaya says over 100,000 listeners so far. Almost. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly. Anyway, Kaya's done a great job getting the voice of agriculture out. But my job at the Farm Bureau is to make sure people know that farmers and ranchers matter and that we it's not like we're making skateboards we're not making cell phones this this stuff we got to have every day and you know let's say some restrictive regulation in california makes sense and all the locals say yeah we don't really need lettuce year round we should limit them to one crop well people in kentucky we can't grow lettuce in december we need you to grow our agriculture here california agriculture slow county agriculture is an amazing thing that i think needs to be protected Amen to that. You know, one of the things I, I feel so, so, so grateful to have grown up here on the central coast of California. I'm very biased, but I also feel like it's a fact that it's the best part of the state. (laughs) And I know a lot of Californians that are not from here that would agree with me. And I remind Brent on the regular that I could have drug him to far worse places than the central coast of California. It's kind of like, I would, I always describe it as where the wild west meets surf culture and has this really cool blend. Like all of our coastal towns in our county all have western saloons with real cowboys inside. Like if you drive along the coast, you're going to see pastures right along the coast, like overlooking the ocean, full of fat, beautiful cattle. And I just love that we are in such a beautiful area, rich with agriculture history and so much abundance. And it's so, so cool to see my husband coming from Kentucky really and you know he mentioned earlier that I don't give myself enough credit but Brent also does not give himself enough credit. Brent has done such a great job of really moving to California, a place where obviously he was very culture shocked and really being able to find his place and find his groove. You know, we go to parties and events now and Brent is the one introducing me to people in my hometown in my home county and I just commend him and I can't take credit for yes sure I gave him a network when we first got here but it is all him and all his work for how well he's done to really create a name for himself here in California and in agriculture. Ever dreamed of traveling the world? Dying to finally go on that vacation of your dreams? Well, I've got some exciting news. I'm gearing up to host my first ever international women's retreat. That's right, international. And I want you to join me. Picture this, a group of kick-ass women stepping outside of their comfort zone giving themselves permission to live their best lives, fostering new friendships, creating lifelong memories, all while healing their relationship with themselves and creating space for joy in the process. But here's the thing. I need your help before I can pick the date and the location. So if you might be interested in joining me for an international retreat, click the link in the show notes or visit coachkaya.com forward slash travel to fill out a quick survey. It only takes two minutes. Can't wait to adventure with you. You know, something I did want to ask you really quick, babe, was obviously moving from Kentucky to to California is a culture shock. But also, if you haven't noticed, listening to this, Brent's got a little bit of a Southern accent, which I love so much. In fact, when I lived in Kentucky, my parents would call me and they'd be like, whoa, Kaya, you are talking differently now. (laughs) Like, I've definitely, I think, picked up a little bit of it. And when I'm back home with my in-laws in Kentucky, I think I start... (laughs) talking slower and drawing out my words a little more but Brent what has it been like for you having an accent a southern accent in California because I think it's a it's a mixed bag 
it has made me question when I mock others' accents because I love doing half butt impersonations of people. And I you have to do a caricature. When you do an impersonation, you know, anyway. One time I called about two years ago, three years ago, I called this lady in Sacramento. They didn't know who I was, my background, whatever. And I called her and I said, oh, thank you so much for, you know, taking the call. She goes, are you serious? What is your deal with your accent? I was madder than a wet hen. I was so ill. I wanted to jump through that phone and knock her in the head. I was just like, well, you sound stupid to me too. And so I'm mindful that it's, it's okay. Like, and then I have a weird thing about, I like Aussie accents. Like guys met some Australians. We met some in Europe, both of our Europe trip, but I love their accent. I love like after they're gone, like, Oh yeah, Blake, you know, bloke and, you know, doing all the Australian things. And I met some New Zealanders, some Kiwis. And I love not making fun of their accent, but doing a caricature of it. So I'm sure I've learned to lighten up and take it for what it's worth. That it sounds different to them. There is hopefully not, but I, I perceive that there is a stigma of being stupid when you talk like I do. And I, I use that a lot in my lobbying. So I come in there, one of my board members say I have a huckleberry charm. I come in there like I'm all shucks. He says all shucks. That's what he says. And I use that to maybe put out that I'm stupider than I am. And I'm stupid in a lot of ways. Don't get me wrong, but I, I like to use that as a strategic advantage and like come at them hard. Like they think I'm dumb, redneck. I come at them, I have my blah, 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 blah. And they're like, whoa, 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 man, we should reevaluate. So it frustrates me that there is a stigma. And I think the worst sounding language in the history of mankind is the California Valley accent. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, no. Uh, like, 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 like. It's, it's so incessant and it drives me nuts. And when Kaya does it, you know, it's my wife, so I can't get mad. But I was <laughs> laughing. I mean, I know she's smart and I love her and I think she's very intelligent in all ways, but it is the stupidest sounding accent in the world. But I've learned that, you know, I think that sounds stupid. They think I sound stupid. None of us should judge others by the way we talk. When I first started dating Brent, I was talking to him about, you know, accents and if Californians had an accent, I always just claimed that we didn't, right? We didn't have an accent. And he said that Californians are up talkers. Like we end every question like it's or end every sentence like it's a question. And when he told me that, I was like, holy crap. I do think that's a thing that I have never noticed ever before. So I do think that I've done a great job of reducing the amount of times I say like in a sentence. But I do find that when I get back with my high school friends or my college friends, it's like I get right back to that version of myself that said like all the time. Brent said that when we were on our Europe trip, I was driving him insane with the way I was talking. So sorry, babe. Love you so much. Okay. I want to shift gears really quick. I know you could talk about this forever, Brent, but I want to keep it brief if you can. We're sitting outside. It's beautiful, as always, in California. And we're having a little happy hour cocktail moment, okay? And I bet y'all can't guess what Brent has in his glass. The finest Kentucky spirit that there is, bourbon. He's very passionate about his bourbon. And for those of you that are listening, I want you to be able to feel a little bit more competent when it comes to bourbon, talking about bourbon or selecting your bourbon. So Brent, I want you to tell us what are the basics that we need to know about bourbon? If someone's going shopping, what do they need to know to get something good? It's all about age. It's all about age, not marketing, not labels, not whatever thing. The pinnacle of bourbon is on the label. And when they say it, they have to mean it. If it says aged X number of years, whether it's eight year, nine year, 10 year, that is the most important thing. And in my opinion, 
anything over six, seven years is a good bourbon that's worth $40 a fifth. When you see these bourbons that say double batched and single barrel and all that stuff, well, you could be getting a single barrel that's crap. You know, ain't no guarantee. Bourbon is all about age. So bourbon is, for those that don't know, it is just a barrel of moonshine put in a charred oak barrel. So they roast the inside to create a charcoal membrane. And when you put that moonshine, which is, you know, like pure grain alcohol, basically, you put that in a barrel as the seasons progress that barrel, you know how wood is, it draws it in and then puts it out. Every time it draws that alcohol in and out of that charcoal membrane, it takes out the impurities, it puts out color, it puts out the sweetness. So the taste that you're getting in bourbon is, by and large, the wood sugars of that barrel. All bourbon has to be in a charred new wood oak barrel. They can't use old barrels. And that's the reason of that is that new wood has flavors to impart the sugars that are naturally found in the wood. In Kentucky, we have a barrel tax. So when you pay a premium for bourbon, you're paying based on how old it's been sitting there in the warehouse. Each year that it sits in the warehouse aging, it gets real hot. That wood draws in that moonshine. It passes out a delicious bourbon. When that happens again and again, that's what makes bourbon. So if you're shopping for bourbon, just Google what is the age of this. Most bourbons don't have an age statement on it something like blanton's which is a very good bourbon you'll have to google how old it is but in my opinion don't drink anything if you're making cocktails and whatever the heck you find is fine but if you're drinking bourbon on the rocks or neat like i do no i drink it on the rocks i didn't say it right anyway if you're drinking bourbon without other adulterants you should get something that's at least six years old and you should make sure that the bourbon is made in kentucky so all Whiskey, all bourbons are whiskeys, but not all whiskeys are bourbon. And the best bourbon is found in Kentucky. He's not biased at all, though, obviously. Okay, um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, Brent. I think that the folks would want to know what it's like to pull back the curtain a little bit, right? Most people that listen here, sure, there's people that know me personally, friends, family, what have you. There's also a lot of people that listen to me that haven't met me in person, okay? And all they know of me is my persona here on the podcast and how I show up on social media and in my emails. So I feel like since you're here, the man that I spend most of my time with, who I live with, let's pull behind the curtain a little bit. What do you think that people might be surprised to know about Coach Kaya or what it's like to live with Coach Kaya? Be kind. I will be very kind. The thing that Kaya gets most excited about is helping people. And she takes everything to heart and she listens. And when she disappoints somebody because she didn't do whatever extra post on a thing, or I mean, she really takes it to heart. And that won't surprise you that she is an incredible human. And what you see on camera is the real deal. And I would argue that we should create a more public persona that's not as susceptible to daily life but kaya is giving you the raw deal in my opinion she's is just as beautiful if not more beautiful when she doesn't wear makeup and there was some old mean woman i was gonna say a dirty word you were supposed to bleep those out but some old woman what was her handle i want to call her out kaya says no don't call her out some woman coming the other day and i get madder in a wet hand somebody said like i was gonna wear that's Kai does a paid sponsorship with this local company called Farm Supply, like does clothes and our yard and is sponsored by. Anyway, 
and Kai occasionally will do a you know update on Instagram where she's like fresh out of the shower. She her hair's wet. And I don't know if you idiots know, but when you have a shower, your hair is wet. And so Kaya is just being a natural human. And I got so mad. I wanted to track that woman down and just, I don't know, do something bad. Don't leave something bad on her doorstep, Kaya, is my best solution. But I get so ill by people being mean to Kaya. I just, because Kaya is the nicest person. If you called her and had some kind of terrible opinion, she would listen and like find the, the 2% common ground. Like Kaya is so good at that. And all she does is love people and want to help people. And Kaya is her happiest when you're still doing life coaching. Not a lot, but a little bit. Okay. So Kaya does life coaching. And when she gets off these calls, like when she has a great call, like we're, I mean, not as fun, but it, it just, where she's felt like she's made a difference. Kaya is so happy. And there's a glow about her that shows that, you know, what makes me happy? Like petty things like winning a political argument or doing a good radio interview and, winning at the county board supervisor, you know, but Kaya loves, she gets so enthralled by helping people. And some of them are weird people. Kaya, I don't mean to be mean to your people, but some of them are weird and got a lot of weird stuff, you know, and Kaya is not a psychiatrist, not a, you know, she'll give all disclaimers, but she could be all those things. And she does an amazing job of making people see the beauty in themselves. And I'm always amazed at how Kaya just holds herself to the standard of helping everybody and she helps me too. And she does it with her family and she's an amazing person. If not, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, but people that talk trash, Kai, I'm ready to cut them off. I'm ready to go get them. If I had an Instagram search feature, I'd go find them and leave a nasty. I'm not going to say what I do, but anyway, I'd leave something nasty in their doorstep. I'll leave it at that. Wow, babe, that was so sweet and so heartfelt. I don't know if I knew what to expect, but I think you were sweeter than I expected you to be. He's bossing me around about how I need to hold the microphone. Like, I haven't done a podcast for a hundred times. Wait, can I just tell y'all? <laughs> I can't remember what podcast episode we were in, but I told Brent it was like a Wednesday. And I was like, oh my gosh, babe, it's Wednesday. You know what that means? It's podcast drop day. And you know what he had the audacity to look at me and say? He said, you're still doing that thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am. I am still doing that thing. So long, in fact, that I made it to episode 100. So you guys get graced with his wisdom and sweetness. Thank you, babe. That is so, so sweet. And uh, I do I do like to pride myself on, I would say, and what most people have told me at least, is that I'm the kind of person who, whether you meet me at a family barbecue, whether you meet me speaking on stage, or whether you meet me on a life coaching call, I'm the same version of myself. Let it go, babe. Let it go. <laughs> He's very protective. Um, you know, and I think that that I, I pride myself on that. I appreciate that I can be myself in all these different circles. And some people, like my husband, they like to compartmentalize their lives a little bit more. And so I just do want to say to pull the curtain back a little bit more, you know, obviously so much of my life is public and I share so much with you all. And uh, my husband is whispering over there, not whispering, he's saying too much. And uh, I will admit this, probably the top thing that we fight about as a couple, as a married couple, is the boundaries of how much we share of our personal life. Because the truth is, is that I, I'm an open book, but I happen to share my life with another person. And uh, it's important that when you're in a relationship, you get clear on what people are comfortable with. And that is a line that I've continued to, to not uh, walk perfectly. Blur. It's a blur. Yeah. Brent says it's a blur. I do think I've been getting better, but 
just keep that in mind. You know, what you're comfortable with, your partner might not be comfortable with. And that's something that we're continuing to navigate as a couple because, uh, you know, we have different preferences and that's okay. Okay, Brent, uh, we are 50 minutes in. I think I could talk to you. Yeah, I know. I think we could talk for hours. In fact, I have a feeling, friends, if you're enjoying this podcast with Brent, you should uh, you should honestly flood me with messages requesting more Brent content because me pressuring him is one thing, but maybe if I can get more people... I think that I think we should have him back. But anyways, I I do have a few questions from our community that I wanted to ask you before we wrap things up. So the first question who actually shout out to boss. I don't even know if boss actually listens to the podcast. He's one of Brent's board members. In fact, he's awesome. His question for you, Brent, is how does it feel to be a cameraman? Every vacation I take, I know that I'm really on the clock. I know that I have to be taking pictures. Because that's guys' deal. That's part of our job. That pays our bills. So I, I, I don't mind doing that. I, I only like it when I do well. So I've taken a lot of pictures. I would say I've taken five thousand plus pictures. Kai says more, ten thousand pictures. But on our wall here in our house, we have selected prints. And I took a picture of Kaya with her cowgirl hat on, with a glass of bourbon, holding a bullet bottle. And smoking a cigar, she wasn't smoking, but holding a cigar, and it's like she's so hot. I mean, just like hot, like just so good looking. And uh, the, my focus was on, and I'm not a. I'll give credit to a guy that's never listened to this podcast. His name was Josh. He was my employee, Lindau. He was my employee at Department of Ag, and he had a photography business. And one Christmas, I was trying to, I'm always a good gifter, Kai. I'm a little, I'll say I would, better than Kai, Kai says, but I want to give a good gift. And Kai been talking about a camera. And I said, what's the cheapest good camera? And he said, get a full frame lens camera. So if you're out there listening, get a full frame lens camera. And I got to use Nikon D610. It wasn't cheap. I want to say it was three grand or something, something more money than I thought a camera was worth. But anyway, he told me to do it and I did it. It was the best decision I've ever made. And we've taken so many awesome pictures. Kyle, my pictures have been featured in people magazine. I'll have, you know, and cowgirl magazine, but in the tiny little spine of the print, you'll see Brent Burchett on there. So I was pretty proud about that. I feel a little bit guilty because I don't really know how to use a camera. I haven't read the manuals that I bought you. I don't know about f-stops and all the things that basic people know and i could if i could retire if you retire me and i'm full-time cow i make more effort but i say i have a lover's eye and i know what kaya kaya's beautiful all the time if she slumped over in a chair sleeping she looks beautiful to me in a different way but i know we need camera ready and so i work her pretty good make her twist and do her thing and boobs out shoulders back eyes open that's that's our constant refrain and uh, I love taking pictures of Kai because she is so naturally beautiful. It's frustrating because when we go out and about, uh, random people on the streets will come up to Kaya and say, oh, my God, you have superhero eyes. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, all right. I mean, she's got good eyes. But and then we were in Greece, Kaya, and uh, I'm going to mess this up. But some guy grabs us in the street and he brings us in. He's a, a really strong, meaty, handsome man. And uh, he grabs Kai and he says, the kindness of your heart is painted in your eyes. And I was like, all right, come on, back off, bro. It's a little bit much. But then he told me I was a, uh, I was a god for having such a goddess for a while. I was like, all right, okay, we'll keep him. <laughs> he was nice. Traveling Europe, 
we met a lot of awesome people and the moral of the story is there are good people everywhere you go. They're not what you think. They're not what you think they should look like. There was, you know, nice dressed people that were total buttheads. There was poor people that were amazing and everything in between and vice versa. And so you, whether you're in California or Greece or Paris or wherever the hell we were in Italy, people are awesome if you can see it. And I took that away from our European trip. I love that. You know, when Brent first bought me that that camera, it's because we were still doing Burley and Barley, and I thought I was going to be a photographer on the side to offer my client some, you know, brand photography. Little did he know he was buying a camera that he would be using most of the time and uh, me in front of the camera. But Brent's a creative at heart, and uh, he does have a lover's eye. He might be my favorite photographer that's taken photos of me. And I, I admit, Brent, I'm way worse at taking photos of you way worse. He, he definitely takes the cake there. He's a better, yeah. My, my lover's eye is I love him too much in all forms that I don't recognize his insecurities when I'm taking photos to adjust him. He's a better photographer than I am and a better gift giver. I will give him that for sure. Okay. Next question, Brent. Um, someone wants to know what is your favorite thing about California? The awesome farmers, the farmers that have been here for generations, the farmers have been here for six months, the way they can deal with the crazy California regulations. I love that they're resilient, that they're doing something that is so important to the country and the country will never care about it. You know, United States, you're never going to see a talking point in a presidential debate about California agriculture, but they're amazing. They're doing something that matters. When you're eating a salad in New York City, it came from Slow County, maybe. Part, parts of the year, we're doing something that's so important to our food security that I, you know, I get disheartened, but when we, when we do our best, we are doing an amazing thing for our country. And I was never smart or physically fit enough to be in the military, but I feel in a small, small, small way that I'm doing my part by helping these farmers because food security is national security. I also love the weather. I don't miss mosquitoes. I'm in Slow County. It's basically like 65 with a breeze year round. It's amazing, but the most important part of moving California, without a doubt, is the happiness that my wife feels because she loves this place, and what she loves, I love. Oh, that's so sweet. Okay, next question. What is a positive habit that you stopped doing but want to get back to? Bicycling. Kai and I had a good bicycles. My bicycle is like a Walmart special. We bought it on a whim and it's kind of a dumpy bike and it's had a lot of problems, but um, bicycling was something we enjoyed and I'd love to get back to that. Also, before I met Kaya, I never had a salad. My family never grown up. We had maybe coleslaw. That was our salad, <laughs> but I never had a salad before. So Kaya has a salad every meal and uh, not that I'm a picture of thickness, but I'm much healthier because of Kaya. Okay. We have a couple more questions from the community before I ask you our final questions. I have to admit this, this, uh, this question made me laugh out loud. This question says, uh, Brent seems so positive always. Is there anything that upsets him and how does he stay so positive? Brent, why do you think that made me laugh? You're mistaken, Kai. I'm always positive. <laughs> There's no, no, it's not true. I try to be positive for Kaya and I'm a negative person by nature. And I always think of um, what can go wrong and I won't apologize for that because I think it serves me well. And 
you know, lobbying, you think what's the worst case scenario, that's how you have to be. And I think that's um, a reality of my occupation. But Kaya has made me certainly more positive and California in general is a go with the flow state. So like my first lobbying, we took our farmers to Sacramento. I had my suit and tie on. I was mad that my other farmers didn't have a suit and tie on. They go, Brandon, it's California. We, we go with the flow and they're right. And there's negatives to that small extent, but in general, that's a positive thing. And going with the flow is a better way to do it. I think you, you know, we're all going to die. Nobody's going to remember a hundred years from now that I did a good job lobbying on the water bill before the legislature. Nobody's going to care. People are going to care about how you treated them, how you helped them. And so in my mind, that's my mission is to help people and do a good job. I love that. You know, Brent and I are a lot alike in a lot of ways, but we are polar opposites in a lot of ways. And I think I wake up looking on the bright side and positive side of things by nature. And Brent wakes up thinking, how can I protect myself against the worst thing that could go wrong? And neither of those are right. Neither of those are wrong. And I think I'm just so grateful. Brent says this is better, but I just feel grateful that we are in a partnership that really, I would say, balances out in a lot of ways. And we kind of build each other up in those different perspectives. Okay, last question from the community before I get to ask you my questions, my last questions. Someone asked Brent, in what ways has Kaya's self-love journey influenced your own growth and development? I'm inspired that anything is possible. Kaya is an amazing woman. And she, if I get 2% credit for her health journey, that is 2% too much because she did all of herself. I can remember her leaving me in the bed, which I hate being disturbed in the morning, getting up to go get on the crappy little uh, bicycle. What do you call that thing? stationary bike that our neighbors had given us and you know i I loved kaya when she was whatever weight i i did not care you know her eyes were beautiful her butt was big i I loved her i probably should say that on instagram but i did i I loved her i I didn't care if she ever weighed more or less that wasn't a factor in my you know when you when you marry somebody it's different than when you hook up with somebody you know kaya was amazing i mean she was my my girl and I can remember the time that I fell in love with you and it was sitting on our, we used to have these like raised beds and we were sitting there and we weren't doing anything at all. And I just, I just thought, man, I could be with this girl forever. She's so chill and so awesome. And I loved her so much. Anyway, you know, it didn't matter to me if she got 500 pounds more or 500 pounds. I mean, not five, that's not impossible. Anyway, you get what I'm saying? It didn't matter to me. You know, I'm, I'm tubby, so I, I don't view people that way. And more about love and conversation, having fun. And when you're looking for a spouse, you know, physical thing is, I guess, a part of it. But uh, I thought Kai was beautiful and I always had the hots for her. And um, as soon as I found out she didn't have a boyfriend, what was that guy's name? <laughs> we should, God says we don't talk about that. Not Bryson. What is his name? Say it. You know it is, Kaya. Is it Brian? What is his name? Guy's like freaking out over here. What is this? What is that guy? He was the one that did those weird. <laughs> what is his name, Kaya? Say his name. Guy will not say his name. There was this guy that was, uh, he was actually a nice guy. Guy's cutting me off. What was the original question? What ways my. Okay, okay, okay. 
We have salads. I never had salads <laughs> growing up. That's the thing Kai's integrated. And uh, she likes to do little walking activities. And so every day at work, she takes me for, a, is it two miles we do every day? 1.6 miles we do every day at my office. And uh, Kaya looks at things like, don't try to, you know, shoot the moon or knock it out of the park. Just do something. Just get a little bit of movement. And that's helped a lot of people. And I think that's right because you shouldn't try to, when you create a thing that's so uh, hard to do, like I'm going to climb a mountain every day, I'm going to run 12 miles. You know, it's it's hard to do and you'll never get started. So Kaya takes it where it is and do a little something. Be happy that you did better than nothing and then build on it. And so that's a good thing that everybody out here listening could do. Start somewhere, do a little walking. Don't judge yourself for not doing everything. Start small and you'll have big gains. I can't tell you all how happy it makes me when Brent, well, actually not always happy, but when we're talking and Brent will use my coaching, like, like sometimes I think he's not listening to me or paying attention to what I do. And then when I'm having a conversation or a bad day, he will pit my own words against me. And that makes me annoyed and proud at the same time. Okay, Brent. To wrap this up, this podcast is called Climbing with Coach Kaya, and that's a metaphor for life. We're all climbing these mountains of life, this big mountain range, lots of highs, lots of lows, peaks and valleys. I ask everyone on the show, what is a mountain in your life that you are currently climbing? And where are you finding joy in that journey? I'm having a little bit of a midlife crisis. So for those who don't know, I'm very old. I'm 30. How old am I, Kaya? 38? I'm 38, Kai's 30, so I'm eight years older. I am, you know, weighing like what I've been doing. I've been doing this ag lobbying thing for a long time, and it's got a great, I enjoy it in many respects, but I also get tired of it, and there's other things I would like to try to do. But, you know, like everybody else, I worry about my bills, about my financial security. So my next mountain to climb is finding a chapter that supports my wife and probably going to pop out some kids here in a couple of years. I worry about having a sustainable income source. I worry about being with my family in Kentucky. They're getting old. My parents are getting old. I worry about them. They've been very supportive of me, but um, my mountain to climb is finding my next chapter. I will selfishly say that I, I want to raise my kids in Kentucky I know Kai turned out well in California, so that's not a fair <laughs> criticism. California kids can turn out good, but um, I don't know. Kai asked, where am I finding joy in that journey? I'm, I'm not finding joy in it right now. I mean, it's, it's stressful. It, it worries me a lot and worries about what we're going to be next and paying the bills. But Kai doesn't care. She's <laughs> ready to go. She thinks we'll be fine wherever she are. She's probably right, but... Um, I'm kind of the Debbie Downer relationships. I'm always looking at the bottom line. And I think that whatever happens, Coach Kaya will be a light for happiness and sweetness. And you can't keep her down. And I won't be part of keeping her down. I won't be part of a supporting her. Oh, well, in that journey of finding out what's next, because I know there's probably some listeners right now that are in that same space of trying to figure out what the next chapter looks like. I think part of it is being open-minded to what next would be, what brings you joy, giving yourself permission to pivot and change the path you're on because I know that's hard in itself. And I think also in that same breath, not forgetting where your feet are planted and finding joy in this day because that's what we got. You know, as we're sitting here, we are sitting outside. I'm in a tank top. The sun's going down. We have five porch kitties surrounding us. We got no debt. We're doing well. We got a good jobs and we're doing okay. 
We're 10 minutes from the beach. We've got this luscious yarden that I grew myself, not to brag, but I'm bragging. I'm fully bragging. And uh, we just have so many, so many things to be grateful for. And I think it's okay for us to, to want more for our life, to want to change in our life. And in the same breath, also feel so, so grateful for exactly where our feet are planted. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I do believe that it can be both. Brent, Daniel Burchett, I love you with all my heart. And I'm so grateful that you have finally agreed after almost two years to be a guest on my show. Are there any final thoughts or words you have before we wrap this up? Coach Kaya is amazing. Kaya is a light to so many people. And I think I said this in our wedding vows. The only thing that makes Kaya truly happy is helping other people. So if you're looking at Kaya's stuff and you're worried about like, well, can I afford this? I can tell you Kaya worries about it too. And she is working her tail off to give you something that matters to your life. And I'm amazed that my stupid butt has found this amazing woman and she is so much better than what I'll ever be. I'm honored to be a partner in her journey and uh, she's just going to get, she's like a good bourbon. She gets better with time. She's just seasoned and She's so sweet, and I love her, and climbing with Coach Kaya, 100th episode. I want to congratulate Kaya on a great job. I often say when she updates me what episodes number she's on, I say, are you still doing that thing? Is that still going? And I'm just so proud of Kaya, and she kicks butt. And if you are listening to this and this makes a difference in your life or you just have a small LOL, as the kids say, like Kaya, subscribe to her, sell it to a friend, help her get her word out because Kaya needs your support and we love her. And if you believe in Coach Kaya like I do, you will be a Coach Kaya supporter. Wow. Thank you. I didn't even prep him to say any of that. That was all just right off the cuff. Um, Brenny, I call him Brenny. That's what our nieces call him too, Uncle Brenny. You enjoyed it, didn't you? Was this as bad as you thought it would be? No. Oh, man. Folks, maybe, maybe if we sweet talk him, because honestly, the trick to Brent's heart, it's not that complicated. If you are just sweet and kind, he'll love you for life. So let's be sweet and kind to today's very long awaited, difficult, bossy guest who I love with all my heart, Brent Daniel Burchett. If you guys liked what you heard today, make sure to share it on your social media. Tag me because let's be honest, Brent loves words of affirmations too. And he'd love if you'd brag on him and maybe he'll he'll come back on the show if I sweet talk him a little bit. But thank you folks so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. I will see you right back here, same time, same place next week. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Climbing with Coach Kaya podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please hit subscribe and leave me a review sharing what you loved most. Come hang out with me on Instagram and Facebook to keep the conversation going as we continue to find joy in the journey. Until next time, I am cheering for you, friend. Keep climbing and we'll chat soon.